All right. The the we actually haven't done this class for for a month almost. Um, the last class was the beginning of May, um, and uh, because of the conference. And uh, so, if you can think back, for those of you who are following along, um, if you can think back to the last class, we we taught we're we're still in Exodus. We've been in Exodus for a while. We'll probably be in Exodus for a while. Um, and I talked last time about Exodus 19 and 24. Um, and the reason I, I picked those two chapters is because it's, it has to do with one, uh, event in the midst of which, uh, in the, in the, and in the middle of that event, Moses is on the mountain. So, there, there's a particular uh, event going on that, and, and the narration of that event is in chapter 19, and then it, and, it, and then finishes in chapter 24, and then and then kind of sandwiched between those two chapters is a whole bunch of laws that Moses receives on the top of the mountain. But the, but the picture, the story that's going on is is a fantastic uh, and 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 uh, amazingly. A hugely important picture of um, of God bringing us into Himself. Really, remember when they come out of they come out of Egypt, and God says, "I will take you and plant you in the mountain of My inheritance, in the place that I have chosen for Myself to dwell, where I will reign forever." Uh, Exodus fifteen seventeen. And then now, now that that mountain is Christ. Um, I mean that 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 dwelling place, that temple. I mean, there's so many pictures of the same. Th- you know, the temple isn't something different than the tabernacle, and the tabernacle isn't something different than the mountain, and the mountain isn't something different than the king. I mean, they're all they all speak of this union, uh, this this relationship of union where where a people come to live in God, and God lives in a people. And God is glorified in that people by giving Himself to that people unto His own increase in that people, and 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 so it's all different aspects and and perspectives of that uh, that reality. But but the mountain, God right away starts. Um, uh, you could say that He He deals with them about a mountain before He makes the tabernacle. But it's the same picture. There's there's an altar guarding the way in, just like in the tabernacle. There's blood involved. You can't go in without death. And then you 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 go in, and there's a, there's several things that represent this union of life with the living God. And in this case, in Exodus 19 and 24, um, just to review, just for a second before we get into chapters, I'm going to start in, and get into 20 through 23 tonight, but. And twenty is the where he gets into the Ten Commandments. But uh, just to review a little bit, nineteen in nineteen, God, God is painting this. God tells them he starts the chapter saying, "You have seen what I have done to Egypt and how I brought you out and raised you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself." That's what he did. That's his view of it. Uh, that's God's view of salvation. That wasn't Israel's view of salvation, but that was God's view. So God begins to, as we've been talking about in the last several sessions about the way, God begins to cause his view of of his salvation to become the view that Israel has. And the, another name for that is 
the revealing of Jesus Christ. He begins to reveal, to, to, to make known, um, the one in whom the relationship exists and, and by whom a people can relate to the Father. And so he puts boundary markers around the whole mountain, says this thing is off limits to the flesh. If you even bring a, uh, a cow near the mountain, it, it's gonna die. Any, anything. And then, and then, but then he opens up a way to approach the mountain. He opens up a way through an altar, through a cross. And there's a covenant involved. And he reads the words of the covenant, and then he takes a bunch of buckets of blood, and he pours half of it over the altar. And sprinkles the rest over the whole people. And, and then, having opened that door with blood, having opened that door with their death, okay, they, they have to die there. That's their, that's their death. And entering into a relationship, a covenant, then they go up into the mountain. And actually, in, in Hebrew, it, it, it actually does, it, most of the uh, translations say, it says they go up onto the mountain. But, but a lot of them have in the, in the margin, literally into the mountain, which, uh, um, I, I like that better. I don't even know what that means. I don't know if they like went into a cave or, or what, what that even means, or maybe they just went up on top of it and, and they wrote into the mountain because, the, but the, the picture of it is that they went into the mount, God took them out and planted them into the mountain of His inheritance, the place He's chosen for Himself to dwell. You know, and that—that's exactly what happened. And the, and the three things they did on the mountain: they ate, they drank, and they saw God. They ate with God. They they ate His flesh. They drank His blood, blood, and they saw Him. Um, and and He did not stretch out His hand. He did not strike them. Um, and what a picture of, I mean, I just, I don't know, God is just, the kindness of God to make himself known to the human, first of all, to, to bring you into a relationship that you have no right to, by bringing you into the death and resurrection of Christ, and then, and then the kindness does not stop there. The kindness continues to pour out in a river of revealing, in a, and God not sharing only his life, but sharing the light by which he knows his life, the light by which he sees himself, the, 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 the way that he beholds his own son becomes our view. And that's, that's the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so that's, that's what that picture is all about. And that's just kind of a, a review. But it's such a huge, it's, it's, and that's Pentecost. I mean, that's really what happened on Pentecost. That's what happened on the first Pentecost. I mean, there was a sacrifices and such involved as well. There's the whole two leavened loaves that are burnt up with the lambs and all that too. But that was, that was that, that's what happened at the first, uh, um, the first Pentecost. 50 days after they left Egypt. 50 days after uh, the first, after death, burial, and resurrection, Passover, um, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Fifty days after Christ's resurrection was was Pentecost, and the fulfillment of this—that's when they went up to God, and God went down to them. That's when they entered into that. The fulfillment of this reality happened on the Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter two. God entered into covenant with His people. They ate with Him. They they drank His blood, and they saw the Lord, and but they, in an inward way, in an eternal way, and 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 God took them as His people, um, and and. Uh, 
the the ones in the upper room, the ones to whom his spirit came down, the ones who went up to him, you know, whatever way you want to say it. They, they were raised up and seated with Christ in the heavens, and God uh, came down out from the same cloud he had gone up into and and uh, and filled his temple. And uh, and anyway, um, okay, so Exodus uh, chapter twenty. So now, so now we're going to kind of. I, we we kind of we did the the bookends here the the two parentheses Exodus uh, nineteen and twenty twenty four and 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 now we get into this part um, where Moses is up on the mountain and God's speaking to him and he gives him a series of of laws starting with the Ten Commandments and. And I really like the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that sounds like a funny thing to say. I, <clears throat> I mean, I really like what I, I, I like them more now than I ever have before. I, I like them because, first of all, I, I, I see Christ in those Ten Commandments, and I, and I see, I see, uh, I see where they were written then and where they're written now. I see the place that God always wanted to put those Ten Commandments into the Ark, and. And and I and I see the nature of them more clearly than I have before, and I just my heart rejoices at that. And I I honestly I get kind of excited talking about this. We were talking about the Ten Commandments, not because, it, but but all, entirely because of uh, entirely because of the Ten Commandments in my heart being something of a window through which I see something a whole lot greater than Ten Commandments. And so, before we get into the specific Ten Commandments, um, let's let's talk a little bit about the law, okay? Because that's what's going on here. God is giving them the law, and 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 Christians and and you know people in general think about God's law, and and we we th- we we just we totally miss what it is, why it is, the 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 the, the nature of it, the purpose of it, the, and we we see we see what we see something. Um, well, we see it from the view of the man that the law condemns, and that's that's that is a in a sense that is a, that's a true that's an accurate view. That's part of that's part of there's there's more views though of the law. The law is condemnation on and towards one man, um, and and if that but but if that's the only view you ever see. Then you only experience it as a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. There's there's more to the law though than that. When I think of the law now, when I read the law, when I read through Exodus twenty through twenty three and so many other passages, but we're just that's where we are right now. What I what my heart uh, looks for now, what, what I see, what comes to my mind, uh, what what. I see when the lights go on. I see it. I see a, li- a a testimony of. I see the word of God. I see the, a testimony of of God of of Christ in a whole bunch of written descriptions, and that's that is how we have to understand. And I I I. I I can I feel like I can be really dogmatic about this because it's so it's so clear in scripture and it's so clear in my heart. The law is a description of Christ in every jot and tittle. He said it was, he fulfills it in himself. 
it it is it is it is it is a description of Christ it is a commandment of Christ in other words it is the nature and person and relationship of Christ that is commanded by this law and therefore it is the requirement of Christ and uh you know i have this die let me put up a diagram here let's see if i switch that to that okay here we go all right so um this is this is a picture of of what uh, what the law is it's just it's christ and and uh and christ in the old covenant isn't a different there's not a different christ in the in the well there's not a, okay let me say it that way there's not a different christ in the old than there is in the new there's just christ described in the old by the law and there's christ revealed in the heart in the new it's the same christ and yet it's christ in the old covenant there were there the god created a place for israel to or offered a place for israel to have life and that place that he offered them was in every conceivable detail a picture of Jesus Christ. And so whether you're talking about the law or the offerings or the sacrifices or the tabernacles or the priests or the feasts or whatever or all the laws about all of those specific things, what we're talking about is a, uh, we're talking about the boundaries of Jesus Christ, outside of which, if Israel went outside of, if they broke that law or transgressed that law, that's just a way of saying they went outside the little stick man. They went outside the boundaries of the relationship in which there was life. And the law described that life. It described the one in whom there there is life there was life and and so the law was never uh it, it was ne- in god's view it was never a bunch of rules it, it it was it was a relationship with the people and his son where christ is defined and described and required of them in a whole bunch of different ways okay now, that is what, pick any law, any, every single law, every part of every law, and you are describing Christ and what it means for a people to live in Christ and relate to God in Christ. Every single detail. And I'm not saying that I can see every single detail, although uh, I see more than I used to. But that's what that's what these things are. That that's what all this. All this there, and and there's different kinds of description descriptions. There's there's um, because Christ is so immense. Not because it's complicated, but because Christ is so. What it means to be in Christ is so so big and 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 so. Perfect, and so there's laws that describe things that have to do with Christ's nature. You know, the the some of the thou shalt nots and thou shalls. Um, there there are laws that have very much to do, specifically to do with Christ's relationship 
to his father and our relationship to his father in Christ. And you have all kinds of uh, things involved in the priesthood with that regard. You have, you see Christ going into the, the house, the, the, the dwelling place, burying the names of, of all of those, uh, tribes in his own bosom with, uh, an, in a, in a breastplate of judgment, a people that have been judged with him in his death, now going into the Father's house. You see that. It's right there. And they do it over and over and over again. Um, you, so, so you, you see all kinds of pictures. There's lots of laws that describe mandatory testimonies of what it means for us to be in Him or Him to be in us. Um, there, there's lots of pictures of, of, uh, some, some of the laws are descriptions of what it means that Christ is made unto us, uh, various things. You know, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, um, 130, I think, you know, Christ was made unto you, uh, wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. I got those out of order, but it's something like that. And Christ is made unto you these things. And so you see in the law, Christ is made unto you peace with God, a peace offering. Christ is made unto you a specific fragrance. It's a very unique fragrance. You weren't allowed to copy it. <clears throat> weren't allowed to share the recipe. And, and, um, and you weren't allowed to put it on any flesh either, or you were cast out of Israel. It was a very, very specific fragrance, and it was only the, represented the fragrance of Christ, and it was something that Christ was made unto us. Um, you know, whether it's a heave offering, or a grain offering, or whatever it is that represents, uh, something that we are not, but Christ is unto us, those things were required of Israel, because that's how God viewed and uh, related to to this body they he related to he, he's only ever related to Christ and to a people in Christ and we just have to we have to understand that our, what we call our covenant with God is actually God's covenant with his son and he brings us into a relationship with himself by bringing us into his son all of the covenants were exactly that that's what every single covenant that God made was a picture of God bringing a people into the one with whom he has relationship. There's no exception to that. Even, uh, I mean, I mean, you go back to Noah. You have a covenant there. You have a picture of a whole, a whole kind, a whole, uh, uh, race of people being put to death in, in, in one, uh, judgment, coming out of that judgment, a new creation, a new covenant, uh, a new life, blood that cannot be taken. It belongs to God. Uh, the whole thing there is a picture of Christ. And so God's not, it's not a special Noah covenant like a lot of people talk about. Well, he made the one covenant with Noah, and then he switched it. And then he made another covenant with Abraham, and then he switched that one. <clears throat> no, the seed with Abraham, it's the same covenant. It's just more pictures of it. It's more, it's more uh, details. It's more uh, it's just, it's just a greater, uh, greater demonstration of that, of, of that same covenant. And then he does the same thing all the way, all the way th- through. I mean, and then there's a covenant with Moses and, and, and Horeb. Then there's a covenant with, with Moses, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and another covenant besides the one he made with Horeb in Horeb, which is something that I've just been kind of noticing recently. And then, uh, there's a covenant with David. There's a covenant with Phineas. What, what's the covenant with Phineas all about? It's the removal of both Jew and Gentile by one spear, by one cross. It's cutting off, it's, it's pinning, <clears throat> 
pinning to the earth, judging in one strike, both Jew and Gentile, thus establishing peace. It's a covenant of peace with Phineas. I don't know if you all remember that story. It's a short little one, but then God says, I will establish my covenant forever with Phineas. Who's Phineas? Phineas is the one that, Phineas is Christ, just like all the other ones. But, but Phineas is the one that, uh, brings about the death of, of both Jew and Gentile with one, one, one staff, one stroke. Anyway, it's all Christ. And, and so Christ, Christ is the law. Now, if that sounds strange to you, that, uh, just give it, give it a little bit of time. Because it will, it will come to be, uh, a very wonderful thing in your heart with some light. The law, what is a law? A law is a, it's a reality that never changes. And, and it demands obedience. It demands alignment. It's constant. It's a certain, there's a certain way to it, a certain nature to it. <clears throat> there's different kinds of laws that we, we talk about laws in the very, various different ways, but they, but they all have the same, uh, you know, there's traffic laws, but what, what is the traffic law? Well, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rea- certain reality that, that, that never changes. It's a rule, never changes and, and, and requires an alignment to that, that rule. Then there's other laws like the law of gravity, where it's a it's a it's a reality, a, a constant principle, a reality that never changes, and and it requires an alignment, uh, an obedience to that law. And then and there's there's no um, <clears throat> you know some of these you can break, some of them you can't. You can't really break gravity for very long, at least. And um, and then and then there's the law of of Moses, okay, or the law. Given of God to, to uh, to the people of God in the old covenant. What was that law? It's something that he knew. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a reality. It's a nature. It's a kind. It's a, it's a, it's a life. It's a kind of a life. It, it, it never, it's always the same way. It always, it's like gravity in that sense. It always, lives according to the same nature, sees according to the same light, loves according to the same heart, uh, understands according, it's always, it's the same thing, and, and, and God, because in the Old Covenant, He wasn't giving the substance of that law, He gave them the written description of that law. What's the substance of the law? The substance of the law is the person himself. It's the nature, it's the way, it's the life, it's the thing that Christ is. It's the word of God who, uh, who is always this, he is a law. He is like gravity. He's like the traffic law. He, 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 I mean, he's like all those things in a sense. He, he's always the same. He, and he requires, if you're gonna live in the place where he has jurisdiction, then it is required of you to align with him. It, it, and so God puts, God puts that law on, you know what, I have another diagram here. Let me pull this one up. I should have got these ready, but. Okay, so here's another little diagram here. The, the the green circle here is is the written law, and the and the and the cross divides in this picture the old covenant from the from the new covenant. God gives 
that law, which is Christ's righteousness, Christ's nature, Christ's way, Christ's mind, Christ's love, Christ's relationship with his Father. He gives it to old covenant Israel. He puts it upon them in, in its written form. And, but because there was another law working within <clears throat> that body of death, because there was another law already working within the members of that, of that of that people, because it was an external law trying to put requirements and demands um, on a on a people that already had a living law working within them, the law of sin and death, then that law brought about condemnation that law uh, that law basically was like a flashlight shining on that big red circle saying there is another law working here governing the soul that is contrary to this law in every way. Okay? And 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 God's solution to that, the greatness of the new covenant, is that the the law, the nature, the reality, the life of Christ that was described beforehand with with words is now given to the soul as a, a law that both demands, it demands the same righteousness, but it also supplies what it demands. It demands righteousness, but it also gives the thing that it's requiring. And it, gov- it can't, it governs from within. It's a little bit simplistic because you can continue to obey the law of sin and death, even though you've been born of his spirit and that's what Romans 6 is all about but uh, but that's kind of the, the basic principle there so here's what I'm trying to say I'm trying to say that Christ is the nature and reality and purpose and understanding and truth and love and light of God that in every way is described by the old covenant laws and it is spiritual the law is spiritual in its substance and its origin. It is from above. Paul says that in Romans chapter 7, that the law is spiritual. It is placed upon man on the old, in the old covenant from without, and it, 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 that becomes a weak covenant. Paul says it, it was weak, but what was weak? Was it, was it that the wall, the, something was wrong with the law? He answers that question negatively. No, there's nothing wrong with the law, but it, the relationship, the covenant was weak because of the flesh. The flesh had a different law working within it. Man was the wrong kind. Adam was not the right kind. He could not do Christ. Christ has to do himself. He, you know, that's, there has to be that law of life, the law of the, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus working in the soul to accomplish the written requirements of the law. So, so the law never changed in nature. The law changed in place. It changed, it, it was written in a new place, a place where the writing of it there also performs what is written. As you learn it, as the covenant is written by the finger of God and the tablets of your heart, then you become the place where that, where that law, where that gravity is expressing itself, where that nature, where that kind, that truth, that light, that love is actually working out. And, and you know, there's a lot of verses we could pull up here. Let me pull up a couple here. 
uh, we, we often talk about these, but I never know if, if this is something new for people or, or, uh, or not. Romans 8, most common one, Romans 8, um, oops, that's Spanish. Um, for what the law could three for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. That's why the law was weak. It wasn't weak in itself. It was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the count of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, the man that the law uh, condemns. But according to the spirit, that is to say, the, the the very nature and substance of the law itself. Or I always think about Galatians three twenty one too. This is the first verse I ever saw with any light. This is the first verse that that just uh, r- really rocked my heart. Um, it says, "Is the law then against?" Let me change it to New American Standard because I like this version better. And with this verse, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. That little phrase, impart life, that's the issue. The law, the outward written law, didn't impart life. It just described life. It described life, but it was always describing the one who now lives in us. It was describing the life, the nature of Christ, who now fulfills him. He fill, he fulfills his own requirement by working in us, both working. He is the one who both wills and works for the pleasure of the Father in us. And that's grace. That's what grace is all about. Grace is God giving you Christ as everything that you're not and everything that he is for his own glory. But, okay, so returning to Exodus 20. So so God gives Moses uh, this this list of, of things. And... And, and yet we should never think about it as, as a list of, of things. We should always understand that these things, that nothing in the law was written for any other purpose than to testify of the one who we should be more and more experiencing as the reigning, governing light and life of our soul and, and learning the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's a there's a verse in First Corinthians chapter nine that I think is is really telling about this. Let me go there. First Corinthians, uh, it's nine nine. Yeah. Now, Paul is using the context here is is having to do with uh, ministers. Um, let's see here. Wait. I think I think the context here is ministers having a right to uh, basically receive natural things while they're sowing spiritual things. I think, if I'm not mistaken. But um, anyway, he's, but but the, that doesn't change. The, the point stays the same, regardless of the context. Yeah, that's, that is right because it says it in, in First Corinthians nine eleven. But look at what he says here in nine. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? 
Yes, for our sake it was written. Yes, and then he goes on to explain for the plowman, not to plow and help, blah, blah, blah. He talks about sowing spiritual things and reaping material, reaping, it's not too much to ask for, to reap material things in the, in that process of plowing. Um, but, but the, the, the interesting thing is how, what Paul understands about this, um, about this law. This is, incidentally, that's, that's one of the laws that Moses receives on top of the mountain, right, right here. Uh, it's in the, it's in these chapters that we're looking at right now. And, and God says, wait, do you think that God, it just, Paul, I mean, Paul says, do, do, do you think that God was actually talking about oxen when he wrote that? Or, or was that written altogether for our sake? Was he not using, was not the law here a picture of something altogether, um, for the sake of those who live in the fulfillment of it, in the, in the newness of it? And that's just, uh, that's just, I, I just feel like that's super important to understand. We, I could bring up a lot of other scriptures that demonstrate the exact same thing. One that comes in our mind right now is First Corinthians chapter ten, where he says these things were all written uh, as examples for our sake. Uh, speaking of the Exodus from Egypt, but um, so when you when you think about the law, when you think about the Ten Commandments, let me just say a couple basic things. There is a greater way. There's always something greater going on than an external requirement placed on the natural body or the natural mind. That's, that's not what's truly in view. What's truly in view is a very different person, a very different nature, a very different kind or life that God desires to be in His people. He's, he's describing it to you. He describes it to us in the old and, and that the old should work in us as a condemnation, a judgment that we are not the thing that we're reading about. That's how the old, that's how the law should work to the natural man. We should read, the natural man should read that law and instead of trying to find his own righteousness in it like the Pharisees did, should read that law and understand that God is describing something here that is contrary to my own nature. It's contrary to how I think and want and move and desire. It is different than me. There's a, and, and even if you keep the external form of the law, there is a greater way to break the law than breaking the outward form of it. And there's a much, much, much greater way to keep the law, to guard the law, to walk according to the law than keeping the external pictures of it, the external uh, forms. Do you see? Do you hear what I just said? Because it's really, it's really important, and I can't think of a, a clearer way to say it. What is the way? Jesus says in John 15 that those who love him keep his commandments. Now, people make a little religious party with those verses because it sounds like, okay, you got to do this, got to do that. I know what commandments are. I just got to keep them. What is the way that you keep his commandments? What are his commandments? They are the things that describe his Nature, his being, his person, his life, his light, his love, his truth, his righteousness. How do you keep those commandments? Well, 
by doing exactly what Jesus says a few verses before he said that in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But abiding in my vine, abiding in my life, then my seed produces its fruit in you. You see, that's the way to keep the commandments. And it's always been that way. The old covenant commandments were always pictures of Christ. And the ones the ones who love Christ are the ones who are allowing his seed to have its increase in him. The ones who love Christ are the ones who are, are letting his increase become their decrease. Do you see what Jesus is saying there in John 15? It's, it's not, it's, the whole, the whole chapter there speaks of abiding in Christ and how you can't do anything apart from Christ and how, you know, the, the, you know, apart from him you're, you're just a dead branch that he throws in the fire. And then he says this one thing about, um, uh, he says this thing about if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and and everyone just puts the, um, you know, puts this religious yoke back on them, not understanding, not not seeing that the commandments of Christ are imp- That's the very thing that it's that he has just told you that it's impossible, except that his seed, unless the tree make the tree good or make the tree bad, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And so the way to fulfill the law is, Paul says, when the, 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 the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is living his own life in you, living according to his own nature. It's Jesus doing Jesus in your soul, unto your transformation and the Father's glory. That's the only way to keep the law. That's the only way to do the commandments, to guard the commandments. So there, I'm going to say it one more time, just so it sticks in a little bit. There's a greater way to break the law than breaking the external commandments, because the Pharisees didn't break the external commandments, and yet Jesus calls them hypocrites in every every page. There's a greater way to keep the law than keeping the external commandments. And that is becoming yourself a vessel for and of the nature of the one who is described by the law. So having said all that, and and hopefully that ended up being slightly clearer, God gives Moses these Ten Commandments. And... uh, you know, and I don't think there's anything magical about um, these ten as opposed to uh, another ten. There's a whole bunch of them. There's a lot more than ten. And there's different details of all the different ones, too, that kind of get, they come out as you go through uh, the, the Pentateuch. But um, I think that the ten... Uh, kind of are representations of the whole. I don't. I don't think that they're they're like the most important ones versus the. Least. I don't think that that even really makes sense. I think that in some ways they're kind of comprehensive, but uh, but but I don't even think that's the real issue. I think that the ten represent the whole, and that the ten fit into the ark, <laughs> which is I know that's kind of a cheesy way of saying it, but uh, they didn't have like a flash drive back then where they could put the whole thing into the ark. They had these like big stones. And they carved them into those stones and they put them inside the ark and that is the most, that's the, that's the essential thing you're supposed to see with those Ten Commandments is the place where they can be kept and the way that they are kept because he puts them inside of the place that he creates for himself to dwell in. He puts them inside his own dwelling place where he meets with Israel. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, they, they, 
they they fit inside the arc and and uh and that's that's an that's an incredibly important picture because where did the where did the 10 commandments come from they they came from they came from on top well god wrote them on the tablets on top of the mountain they come down from the mountain and they meet with a rebellious people on the outside, externally. They meet with this people and the, the tablets are broken. The law is broken. They're crushed. The people are judged. The tablets are broken. Then the tablets, the word of God, <laughs> this is just such a beautiful picture. The word of God arises from the dead. The, he, he, Moses smashes the word. It's crushed for the sins of the people. Right, they're dancing around the golden calf. Moses comes down, smashes the the thing. The word is put to death. The word is bruised for our transgressions. The word is crushed, and yet the tablets come back, go back up the mountain with Moses, and God writes them again, writes them anew, writes them a, a, a new kind of covenant. It's the same. I know in the types and shadows, it's the same. Same ten, but but when he comes down, he immediately places them in the ark. He puts them in a new place, a place where they're not broken, a place where they can actually be kept, a, a new relationship with the people. He places them on the inside and 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 dwells with them in that way. And uh, okay, so <clears throat> the. Um, all of these Ten Commandments here are. There's an external. There's an external. I don't know how to say it. There's an external way of reading them and, and obeying them, and, and yet there's a. Uh, there's an inward reality that they're speaking of. They, they they speak beyond the words. Of course they do. It's Christ. It's Christ being described. It's Ten Commandments that describe something of Christ. It's not just words. It's not just behaviors. It's a nature. It's a person. It's a life. And so, um, <clears throat> and, and that's that's what we we always think we're doing something significant by keeping the outward rules and not losing our life and finding his. That's what happened. With, that's that's the guy. You know, the rich young ruler comes and says, "Look, I did all these since I was a kid." And Jesus says, "One thing you lack, me. <laughs> one thing, you, one thing you lack. You know, sell everything you have and and lose your life and follow me." And uh, and. It, you know, well, there's a there the the nature of the these laws. Uh, how do I say it? The 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 true nature of these things is 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 spiritual, or at least the thing that they point to is spiritual. I know that there's external ways to break them all throughout the old covenant, and yet those external ways have have very internal and spiritual counterparts. Paul Paul uh, talks to the Jews and says, "Look, you guys say you're Jews and you don't do this and you don't do that, but but you are you are constantly doing this and that." He says, "You who, you know, I forget exactly how he says it's in it's in uh, Romans uh, two or three. I can't remember exactly where it is. I think it's two, where he says, you know, you you boast in the law. You think you have you think you're obeying the law, but you're 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 doing this 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 in contradiction to the very law. You who." Uh, I can't, can't think of the language, and I have my, it's a Bible, wrong Bible there. Um, but, but the, the point is that 
even even though and Jesus was always doing this too with with the uh with the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. You keep it on the outside. You're inwardly contrary to it. Um, so let, let's just read a few. We don't have a lot of time left, but let's just read a couple of these of these commandments, okay? Uh, Exodus 20. Um, then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the sea. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, uh, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me which showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so the first one has to do with making, worshiping other gods, uh, false gods, gods that are not the Lord. Now, I talk about this one, I think, a lot, just the fact that you don't have to have a different name for your God to be worshiping the wrong God. You You can still call him... Jehovah, you can still call him Jesus. That's exactly what they went on. That's what exactly what they were they they were doing. That I mean, that's what that's what they did, they did with the golden calf. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is Him. You know, I was just struck by um, Gideon did something similar to that. Right after it, God gives him this huge deliverance with you know the three hundred men that kill one hundred twenty thousand people or something amazing like that. The Midianites and. And then, and then the first thing he does when he gets back, he says, "Hey, can I have everybody's earrings?" And uh, and he takes all their earrings and he makes some kind of an image of God, and and uh, it just seems to me to be. And it says it was a thorn in the side of Israel during they 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 went at least in the King James it says they went to whoring after it, um, and uh, but but see they they. In, in many of these instances, at least Israel didn't even know, they didn't understand how they were creating images and false gods because they were calling them all the Lord. The Lord, I mean, when you see the Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, that's always the word Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how you want to pronounce that, that, that Hebrew word. The Lord, I am. So they were calling. They call their imaginations. I am. And uh, and even in 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 Jeremiah, I was just reading Jeremiah a little bit ago, and and Jeremiah says, "Go to them." God says to Jeremiah, "Go to them and tell them, you know, you've forsaken me, and you've um, gone after the vain imaginations of your own mind and the deceit of your own hearts." And 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 he says, "And they will say to you, how have we done this? How have we walked in iniquity and turned away from the Lord our God? We have no idea." And, uh, yeah, they did end up worshiping the bronze serpent. It had to be put away, I think, at some point. Yeah. Um, so they, so what I'm trying to get at is that your, your, our, our idols, our, our graven images aren't the things that aren't only at least the things that we fashion externally or put another external name on. They could be things that are only fashioned inwardly according to our own mind and reasonings um, and, and and things that have the name of uh, the God of our Bible 
all over them. In, in fact, I would say, as I've said before, that most of the idols in in uh, the United States and in other places that are, um, you know, are, are that have the scriptures, I guess, uh, most of the names of the idols in the world are Jesus. That's the most common uh, God that people speak of or, 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 or talk about. And yet, um, everyone goes after the dictates of their own heart. Everyone follows the imaginations of their own mind. It is a false God. It is something that they have fashioned in their own mind according to something that they've seen below the heaven. I mean, it's something that it's something that is. It, maybe they saw it in the sky. Maybe they saw it on the earth. Maybe they saw it in the sea. Maybe they saw it on TV. Maybe they saw it in a crusade. Maybe they read it in a book. But they fashioned an image and they worship it that is something other than God's revelation of Himself to their soul. And that's what's strictly prohibited here. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. What makes an idol an idol? It's something other than God's spirit-given revelation of himself. That's it. That's it. Um, let me just say one more here and then, and then I'll stop. But like the, the next one is, uh, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And we think, you know, right away we think, uh, Saying something with our mouth, you know, cussing and and bringing Jesus's name into it or God's name into it, and 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 though I I think that that is generally offensive to most people and shouldn't be done, um. Nevertheless, there's a far greater reality of taking God's name in vain. It's not just saying His name for vain reasons. It's it's ascribing His name to anything that doesn't have Him as its life and source and substance. It's putting His name on anything. It, it, putting His name on your own works, your own ministry, your own church, your own understanding, your own worship, your own prayer, your own... It's putting His name on anything and everything that He's not the life and substance and author of. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. Everything that you ascribe to him that was not born out from him and comes out of him and works in you by him and you call it by his name, you ascribe it to his name, that is taking his name in vain. I'm going to stop with that and see if there's comments or...